Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Welcome back to another episode of Persistence You with Lisbeth. This morning, I am so honored to have with me Don Cochran King, who's patching in from sunny Las Vegas. And I am thrilled. Dawn and I spoke a while back. She has a vibrant community called Journey Lessons on Facebook. And she also has written a fantastic book called Survivor's Nuggets. And today, Dawn's going to tell us how she got to the place where she wrote the book and is doing the work that she is and bringing her best and her story of persistence to the world. So thank you so much, Dawn. I'm really glad that you're here. It's 7 a.m. Alaska time, and I'm a little tired (laughs) because I'm from the land of midnight sun. So at the time we're taping this, we don't really get darkness, you know, for it's kind of bright and sunny all night long. So I'm confused and and a little befuddled this morning. Thank you, Dawn. And it looks like Vegas because we're sunny practically 365 days a year. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's so warm. You and I were just talking about the temperatures right now. I am so excited that you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well. It is my pleasure for sure. Now, so do tell us a little bit about your story, if you would. Sure, sure. So, so we'll start with my story of persistence. Um, my story is a little bit different in that I actually pay honor to other people and and how persistent they were, and how instrumental that was in me starting this journey. And I'll explain why. When I joined a church years ago, many years ago, uh, someone kept inviting me to the bereavement ministry, and I thought, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. this is a large church of all the ministries to be invited to. That is the one that I would never join. And so I politely <laughs> said, no, thank you. And nope. <laughs> but the same person kept asking me, and it just seemed like she found me every Sunday. And then when a second person asked me, I thought, why Why am I being asked this question, and why are they being so persistent about it? And I, I finally said, you know what? I'm going to have to decline because I'm too emotional. I cry too easily. I don't know that I could really help someone through that that journey. And the first thing the person said was, you know what? That's exactly what we need. We need people with compassion. And I had no more excuses at that point because that's who I am. So I make a long story short, I went to the first meeting just to kind of get my feet wet and see what it was like. And I listened to other members. They were going through training and they were sharing their own stories. And it made me reflect on my own loss. I just recently had lost my grandmother and it made me reflect on my own experience with grief. And I thought, this is where I need to be. It's helping me. I want to turn around and help other people through their loss. And it's something that's ongoing. So yes, them being persistent, not really knowing me, but just somehow knowing that there was a connection there and I should be there, it started it. So from that point, 
I became um, a member of the ministry. A year later or so, I became the director of the ministry, then became a hospice volunteer. Yeah, I became a hospice volunteer. And then I helped, I co-facilitated a bereavement support group for children and adults. And so sometimes we had families come in and, and started that conversation with them. So through all of those experiences, I would go home every day after visiting a hospice patient, after facilitating a, a grief support group or doing something with the church, I would go home and write a story about it. And over the years, I had this little collection of all these stories. And that's what made the book come to fruition. I decided oh, I, I needed to put that. it all together. Yeah. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. And so what was the biggest surprise in the writing process of it? The biggest surprise was probably me being transparent about my own fear of death. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, my own fear. And I would think that, you know, at this point, a lot of my friends, church members, um, they knew what I was doing, and you know, in my spare time, that was that was at my heart. For me to say that I feared death, they probably thought, what, who? Like, why would she fear that? You know, what are you talking about? But I did. And it was really, um, it was unfounded in truth. There was, and and that's where a lot of fear comes from, in my belief. Um, I don't think that people who are afraid of anything real, it's really based on any real evidence, unless you've had an experience that goes, oh, wow, I almost drowned. So now I'm afraid of swimming. like those kinds of things. I get it. But for me to be afraid to die was not founded in any truth. Um, I, I had recently been divorced and my daughter was only a toddler. At the time, um, she's 24 now. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're talking about a long time of all these experiences. But um, I, I was afraid to die because I didn't want to leave her. So okay. prior to that, I didn't have that fear because I didn't have this little one who I felt, oh, my goodness, she needs me, you know? Right. And so I had this fear. So I I started to think about other people who had that same fear and what do we need to do about it? Because I'm, I, I was healthy. I didn't have any. I wasn't working in a job that was you know, uh, dangerous or life-threatening. So what, why, what am I doing? What I need to, I need to work through this. Right. And I think being transparent about it and, and opening up in the book and in other talks as well, made me realize that there was a purpose in that, that I could help somebody else along the way because I overcame it. So I needed to be able to share that with other people. So for me, that was the biggest surprise. I had no idea that I would even start with that. That's fantastic. And I think it's a topic that we just don't talk about often enough. I mean, it's the only inevitable thing after we're born. There are a lot of people, people say it's inevitable, death and taxes. Actually, taxes are not inevitable. Some people actually don't pay them. But death is coming for us at some point or another. It kind of feels like that's going to happen for sure. Right. And yet we don't talk about it in a way that helps us feel comfortable with it. And I think that that fear is very common and very real and how important that you are making a difference and helping people come to terms with that, because it can be a beautiful experience or it can be a terrifying experience. So that is fantastic. Do you have any hints, actually, some tips for how do we have conversations with a loved one if, in fact, we're afraid of our own immortality or Mm -hmm. mortality, rather? I I think a big part of it is like really living life to the fullest and celebrating now. Um, I I read a book and you're probably familiar with it, Tuesdays with Maury. 
And Tuesdays with Maury just really touched me. I just, I, I love the way Mitch Album framed the book. Uh, there's a part in the, in the story where Mitch, we all know he's dying. It starts out with him dying. He's, he's got a fatal illness. We know that, a terminal illness rather. Um, and he talks about having a, a living funeral. And he did that. He had a, a living funeral where he was he was still here and could celebrate with his friends. They reminisced, they partied, they danced, they had a good time. Mm-hmm. And I think I think when you can do those kinds of things and and kind of celebrate your own life with your people right now while you're still doing well, mm-hmm. I think it kind of puts things in perspective. And the other prong, it's like it's kind of a two pronged approach. So you want to do that the celebration, but the other part is being practical. So it's making sure you're writing everything down. What do you want your last wishes? What are, what are your last wishes? Who do you want to be in, responsible for them? You know, where are all your important papers? Like just be really matter of fact about it because I think fear often comes from a sense of not having any control, yeah, right? Exactly. If you don't have any control over something, it's quite natural to fear that. But when you feel like, you know what, I'm this is there's really a step, this steps to this process, and I'm going to take them step by step and take care of it. And once it's done and I've handed it over to the person who will be responsible for it, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I can live until that day. And I think most people, it's not just the fear of the actual dying, it's the fear of what will happen afterward. It's the fear of not even my own death, but like talking to a spouse or to a parent or a sibling. You don't want to not have that person in your life. So the fear is in not having them here anymore. Well, you know what? One of you are going to go before the other one. So let's just have a really matter of fact, fact conversation, common sense conversation. And now we don't have to talk about it anymore. We can just live. And that we have to just get past that. I said, do it afraid. Right. You, you're, you may not get rid of the fear, but do it afraid so that the fear doesn't stagnate you or make you immobile because then you don't take care of it. And now there's problems later. I love that. Such wise words. I remember, and I think there's something about being a single parent, whether you're a mother or a father, but when you realize that the weight of the world truly does feel like it's on your shoulders, mm-hmm. you start thinking about death more. So when I was much younger, I went ahead and got a, uh, a will made. And I think I was in my thirties at the time. I made, yeah, I think I was in my thirties and it made me so anxious to book the appointment to meet with a lawyer. You know, you do most of the upfront work yourself really, but then you have to have a, or you ideally can have a lawyer look over the paperwork and file it with the courts And I remember just being so fearful that if I took care of those details that I would somehow immediately die. (laughs) And so I went and I met with the lawyer who was just delightful. And then it turned out that I knew one of his legal partners. I didn't realize that they were practicing Mm -hmm. together. And I said to the legal partner who I'd known forever, oh, I would have booked with you had I known that you did this kind of work. And he said, oh, I don't do wills. Every time I did one for a while, people just would die immediately. There was like people in their 20s and 50s. And I was like, thank I drove home at like 10 miles an hour, like looking all around. Oh, no, it's true. But it turned out decades later that I'm still here. And I do feel so much more confident having that in place, having a do not resuscitate filed with, you know, all of the things, a living well, Dawn, those are 
those mm-hmm. are important conversations. So I love what you bring to, to that conversation. Okay. And also tell me a little bit about what that did for you as far as learning to live a little more. Give a couple of examples of what you've did, how it inspired you to really live today and to think to yourself, if not now, when, when you're making decisions for your life? Hmm. I would say in all things, in all things, whether it's preparing for your death, as we've just been discussing, or just preparing for your career, whatever you're doing, you're about to go get a degree, whatever you're working on. I think there's going to be some element of fear. There's going to be some element of the anxiety that you talked about. I think no matter what it is, you just come up with a plan. You have to, and write it down. You write down a plan. Um, you, that, you, that control comes back that I spoke about earlier. Okay. I'm, there's nothing really to fear here. I'm going to take it one step at a time and take care of it. And I've done that. I think um, to kind of shift gears a little bit, but still answer your question. I talk a lot about the stages of grief. So in addition to preparing for our own death and making sure we're being like good stewards over our life, right? Sure. We have to make sure that we understand what that process is because we're all going to go through those stages. We've probably gone through those stages more than once already. You and I are kind of seasoned. So we've yeah. gone through those stages already in our lives, right? So what those stages, they, they, they're p- typically five to seven, depending on who you read. But, um, I say I I wanted to give that to my readers so that they understand that there is kind of a normalcy to it because so often people go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I keep picking up the phone to call my mom and I know she's not here anymore. Or I can't believe I keep thinking that he's going to turn the key in the door and come home and he's not here anymore. So what's wrong with me? Am I going right? And my thing, I've said it so many times that's normal. All of it is normal. All of the stages are normal. You're going to go through them and you may not go through all of them. You may not go through them in the order in which they're written. And you may return to one a year or two later. Something will trigger it. All of that is normal. All of the above is normal. And what I like to leave people with is the more you love and the more you care, the more you're going to grieve. So if the grieving seems incredibly hard, be thankful that you had all that love when the person was here. And that is such a beautiful, beautiful way to reframe that. That's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were completely inoculated from pain of someone dying, that means you weren't in very deeply, uh, you know, or you spent so much time protecting your heart that you couldn't be fully available. So what a beautiful way to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so in your book, give us a couple of, you know, maybe the the highlights of writing it mm-hmm. and how it's hit, how it's laid with people, you know, how have people responded to you since writing your book? That's such a wonderful accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. I I would say that the fact that it's based on, on true stories right. really hits home. So what I did is I took each of the stages and I concentrated on the, the five. Um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, I always pay honor to her, you know. Right. God rest her soul. She um she came up with the five stages. And so what I did was I had a chapter for each stage. And in each of those chapters, I shared a short story, a true story, either something that I experienced myself or something that someone shared with me. Um, 
of how they actually got through that particular stage. So it's all the matter of fact textbook information about what that stage means and how a person can identify when they're in that. Okay, you know what? This is denial. This is what denial looks like. This is what it says, how it's defined. And I'm in denial right now. And some people go, how can you be in denial? You know, the person died. So how can you be in denial? But it's so much deeper than that, you know? So I, I think the fact that they're based on true stories and I... And I'm so glad that I wrote them down right after I got home and right after I experienced them because I have such detail that I can share with people. So they feel like they were right there in the room when I was talking to my uncle and and giving him communion two weeks before he passed, like those kinds of things. And people can relate to them because we're all connected. Our, Our experiences, there's nothing new under the sun. So what I experienced with him is very similar to what one reader may have experienced with a friend, you know? Um, And I think because of that, it's relevant and it resonates with people. And they can see where they can maybe go through the stages and help someone else. You know, I've had people buy the book as a gift for someone else, you know, because it is, it's truly a gift that we can give to someone. If you can help someone get through the stages of grief, that's huge. That's huge because it immobilizes people if they don't. Right. They'll just get stuck there. Yeah. And then you don't make space for the future to come. What happens next will completely elude you if you're just stuck in that pain. So I think that's just a fantastic gift, actually. And now that COVID is winding down and we're able to do in-person events, has that been enjoyable for you to be able to, to see people yet? I'm looking forward to that. I've actually had a couple of luncheons here and there with people, but I'm really looking forward to doing some events. Everything has been virtual. I think, um, cause I try to find the silver lining in every cloud, right? So this COVID cloud, the silver lining for me is that we should not stop Zoom calls. We shouldn't stop those virtual meetings because it allows us to talk and reach so many other people. Um, I actually see more of my relatives now because I have relatives all over the country. I see more of them on the screen than hopping on a plane and getting to see them. So I think, I think part of that should be, should continue, but yes, I am definitely looking forward to some virtual events and book signings and, oh yeah. being able to support other authors as well, for sure. I love that. And I, I hear from other author friends that they're continuing those hybrid events where if you do an in-person event, but also add a virtual component to it, you can include so many more people and your topic is so incredibly universal. So I think that will really resonate with a lot of listeners, a lot of readers. So terrific. So what will you be working on next, Dawn, besides promoting your beautiful book? Thank you. I I actually am taking a turn to a different topic now, and I've started doing some research. I want to write a book about historically correct curriculum for the public schools. Okay. I, yeah, so much has been in the media with, um, you know, we've talked so much about um, diversity and equity and inclusion and being culturally competent. We have committees in just about every industry you can think of, in our schools, in nonprofit organizations, um, industry associations, and corporations. They all have a committee, and we talk about that. We talk about being inclusive and making sure that we're being culturally aware of of all of us. Right. And I think that where we're lacking is in some of the most precious things that we have to do, and that is teaching our children. Okay. We are. I don't think that we have... Um, 
I won't even say I think, we don't have historically correct history textbooks. And so um, just recently, you probably have seen, but just recently the uh, Tulsa massacre has been televised and that has brought a lot of awareness where even some of the people in Tulsa didn't know about some of it because it was so difficult for the families who lived through it to pass the stories down through generations and generations. So. I think I think and and actually uh, Oklahoma I have to applaud them. Oklahoma as a state they have decided to include that in their history curriculum for their wow. students. Okay. And I would love to see that in other stories, you know, across m- many cultures. I would see, love to see other stories included in history. I have, I long have left the the K through 12 system as a student. But I can remember very clearly things that I never learned in school that I learned as an adult. And I think um, we just owe it to our country to do that. So I'm doing some research on that. And it may be an anthology where I get together with other authors and try to put something together. I'm not sure yet. But that's where that's where my passion lies right now. That is really exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. And sounds like you have a good strategy or you're developing a good strategy for that. Yeah. And it's very important. I think when we grow up and we read just a slice of what we do in our curriculum, And then later find out there were so many missing pieces. There's a real feeling of betrayal for so many of us. And yet it's like exposing family secrets. If you write memoir, you know, not your family will not necessarily applaud you if you're exposing things that may help other people, but that also don't look very favorable on certain some. So it comes with a a brace yourself experiences is coming ahead, but so worthwhile that's so great. worthwhile because we can't change what happened in the past, but we right. cannot forget it either. Exactly. And as an educator, um, I, I had did teach for several years. As an educator, I know that my fellow teachers are take painstaking um, attempts to write really, really engaging lesson plans. Right. And I think that we just need to give them those standards that are just steeped in historically correct facts so that they can share it with their students. You know, teachers have a hard job and I I just think we need to give them more information um, to share with students. I think that sounds terrific. Well, where can our listeners reach you, Dawn, and learn more about how to get a hold of your book or get some more information on how they can move through the stages of grieving or better serve someone they know that's in the uh, process of dying? Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. Everything can be found at my website. It's the journey lessons, the journey lessons.com. And um, I have my email is there, my Facebook community, which is the journey lessons community. Um, a link to that is there. I also have links to all my other social media outlets, Instagram and uh, face Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Everything is on the website as well as a link to get the book. So I would love to hear from your listeners. I love your podcast. I've been listening as well to your other interviews. And um, mm-hmm. I hope that this helps someone as well. Thank you, Don. I definitely think that it will. I just appreciate how you started out in your journey being very resistant to the thing that it was identified that you would be able to serve uh, a certain group of people, and yet you did it anyway. And I think that's so inspiring because often we bring so much to the table that we don't even know about. And the fact that you were willing to do this really challenging work yeah. um, And then write about it is just beautiful. So thank you. Thanks for being here. And I hope you have 
a lovely summer day and that you stay cool. Yes. Which is not something that we often talk about in Alaska, although it's really beautiful right now. But uh, it is, yes, we, we keep cool very easily. I hope you do as well. <laughs> I certainly will. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I hope you enjoy your day also. Thank you. And do stay in touch when you get your next work complete. I'd Absolutely. love to hear back from you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.